only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Goodbye, University. Hi, everyone. This is Janet. Uh, Janet Douglas. I'm the Identity Shift Ninja, Ninja and I'm wel welcoming you to the call today. I'm a little incoherent because it's early and I'm excited. <laughs> this is not always a good mix. Um, before we get underway, I want to say thank you so much to Jeanette for um, letting me be part of the GVU calendar. Uh, and welcome to everyone who's on the line. Um, so we might, I'm going to keep my chat window closed for most of the call or, you know, um, uh, I might have a look every so often, but my brain gets a bit fried if I try and look at it all. But I would like to say hello to everyone who's on the line. So I'm going to say hello to Jeanette, of course. Hi, Jeanette. You, hello. And you don't have to say thank you for letting you be on the calendar. Our <laughs> thanks is to you for bringing your expertise as a GVU faculty member to us. So thank you for doing this. Well, you're so sweet. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. Uh, hello to Hello to Guillaume. What hour is it for you, Guillaume? It's 11 o'clock p.m. in the UK. That's pretty civilised. Like 11 o'clock's like, that's just late evening. <laughs> yeah. Especially this time most of year. Yeah. Recently, and, and most of the time, recently, yeah, most of the time recently we go to bed about 1 o'clock in the morning. So that's <laughs> early for me. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> uh, Brenda's on the line, but she's got background noise, so she's muted herself. So I'm just waving to Brenda. Um, and hi to Quilly. Hey, Quilly. Hey. I'm so happy to be here. Looking forward yeah. to this. Well, um, I'm going to get. I have to say, this this call may not be quite as technical as the ones I normally do because I thought it would be a bit more fun to have to play with um, a slightly different take on 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 the approach to brain science. Um, so one of my passions is teaching people how to use the focus of alignment to become the person who has that thing they want right now. And so focus is a big part of that. <clears throat> so this, is, this has been an especially interesting month for me with Jeanette's um, year of manifesting uh, focus being on focus. And today the intention with this call is to bring some more lighthearted, fun perspectives to how we can get our brain on boards with focusing because obviously <clears throat> when we're talking about focus, we're talking about where our thoughts are landing. And whenever we talk about thoughts, we have to be thinking about how our brain works and and wherever possible, seeing it as our ally rather than as the enemy. Because I know sometimes it's easy to fall into that trap of thinking as, you know, the brain is doing this thing and I can't control it. Well, the, the, that's not the case. But uh, I often use the metaphor for board, of border collie puppies because when our brains are left to their own devices, which is how most of us were before we came to law of attraction or deliberate creation, they are a bit like unruly border collie puppies. They're, you know, they're very smart, they're excitable, they're eager to learn, they've, and they've got enormous potential. And if they're left to their own devices, they'll chew up your shoes and wreck the furniture and you find yourself in all kinds of trouble. So, so because I have this metaphor of, you know, looking at border collie puppies as looking at the brain in that way, I thought it would be fun to dive deeper into that metaphor 
by looking at my own experience with Border Collies and whether there's something we can learn there about how to manage the relationship with our brain when it comes to focus. Because back in the day, in my previous career, I was one of the puppeteers on the movie Babe. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, it's, it features um, two Border Collie characters as the main characters, Fly and Rex. Fly becomes a kind of adoptive mother to Babe, who's a little piglet that wants to be a sheep, a sheep pig the male dog, her, her partner. Uh, and when we worked on the movie, they actually had a team of Border Collies to play, you know, two or three Border Collies to play each of those characters. And watching them work, watching them train, and also watching the sheepdogs, they did, they did bring in some actual professional sheepdogs to do some of the wide shots of, of, of sheep herding. Um, and watching those dog work, dogs work, I've never seen a focus like it in my life. And if you've ever watched working dogs doing their thing, you know what I'm talking about. It, um, i got to interrupt, Janet. It is amazing. <laughs> it's one of my favorite, yeah. th favorite events of the entire year to go watch the dogs, the border collies, do their thing in the field with the sheep. It's unbelievable. It brings me to tears. It is extraordinary. And, <clears throat> and, the, and the, 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 the way they do focus is so interesting to look at. And I thought... Well, if nothing else, Jeanette's going to have fun on this call because we're going to talk to all the colleagues. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so, um, for example, let's just, just let me give you a couple of examples. The dog who played Fly for the close-up shots, um, there are some shots in that movie where you would swear that they computer-generated her eyes to be looking at exactly the right spot, you know, where she's looking at the pig uh, and she follows, she tracks him with her eyes very subtly and you would swear that they've computer-animated it. They didn't. Back then, the computer animation was still in its infancy um, for this kind of work and the only thing they used it for was to make the, the mouths move. Um, and some of the shots, I have to say, obviously, are animatronic animals as well. They're not all real animals, but with the dogs, it's mostly real animals because they actually got a better performance out of the, the a, a more still performance from the real dogs than they could get with the animatronic dogs. Wow. And what, the dogs who played fly for the close-up shots, the way they did that is it wasn't a treat, it wasn't food, it wasn't, like, with a Labrador, you can do that with a piece of meat. <laughs> but it won't take long before he's kind of inching forward and starting to lick his lips and that kind of stuff. That didn't happen with this Border Collie. The, the, the thing that she was looking at for her eyeline was her toy ball. During the, so during the months of training before filming began, because they had to train them to do specific actions, like there's a moment where Fly puts her paw affectionately on Babe's head. That's obviously the, an animatronic pig, because you can't get a real pig to sit still for that. Um, but the dog's been trained to put her paw up on the, on the piglet's, piglet's head, the, 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 the robot's head. It's not a robot, it's a puppet. Anyway, um, so, so during training, she'd been rewarded with food, food treats, as you normally do when you're training an animal. But by the time that, we, that filming began, she'd become so devoted to this toy that her trainer could use that to hold her attention for very long periods of time. And that... that enabled the trainer to almost use that toy to control that dog like a puppet. It was the most extraordinary thing to watch. Uh, and th so this dog's focus on that toy meant that she was utterly still except for the way her eyes were tracking it. There was no inching forward. She knew where she had to stay. 
she was completely focused. And of course, as you know, Jeanette, those actual sheepdogs, when we came when they came on set to do the wide shots, now these are dogs that have come from working farms. They're they're used to the peace and quiet of the countryside, except for their tra for their ha handler who's using whistles and calls to to you know give them signals. A film crew on location is this kind of colourful, ever moving melange of lights and equipment and people and noises that these dogs had never seen before in their lives. They didn't turn a hair, not one bit. Just did their job, just got wow. on with it. These aren't dogs who do a lot of um, public, uh, you know, they don't they don't do competition. They just they're just working dogs on a farm. <clears throat> it didn't matter when they were doing their job. No distractions, no dramas. So, so what does this have to do with our brains? Are there things we can learn from observing the elements that go into training a happy, healthy, focused working dog? I think there are, and I thought it would be fun to explore them today, especially on this topic of focus. So, any questions so far? <laughs> no, but I, I did wonder. It's interesting to hear you say that even in an unusual environment, they didn't lose focus because when I saw them, like, walking amongst the crowd, you know, as their trainers, their handlers were leaving to go back to, you know, wherever they go, that, those dogs still only had eyes for their owner. Like, they didn't get distracted yeah. by other dogs or smells or other people or noises, the band or anything. So, that's interesting. No. It was interesting, and one of the things that we learned when we first got on set, the, one of the first things we were told is, don't don't go and try and make friends with the dogs, don't distract them. Mm. And initially, we thought, oh, there must be, you know, we, we've got to be, because it's certainly with the piglets and the sheep and the horses, not the, the yeah, no, the, even the horses and the chickens, <laughs> they had trained chickens. Um, you couldn't go near them; it would really distract them. They would they would lose focus completely. But with the dogs. They didn't, as soon as the, the, you know, they knew the difference between working and playing. They knew when they were on, but it didn't matter. They were still really focused on their trainer, which is a lovely segue into the first point I went, want to make, and that is you've got to know who's in charge. Mm. Anytime you watch a working dog doing his thing with his trainer, you know who's in charge in that relationship, not in the way of imposing authority, but in the way of the the, the trainer, the handler is clear there's uh it's, it's absolutely clear who's the pack leader here the relationship between trainer and dog is it's intimate and it's often a very loving relationship even between a, a laconic australian farmer and his dog you know they will they'll still get a scratch behind the ears there's still that connection there and it's clear who's in charge there's no bullying there's no aggression there's no need for drama it's just firm patient clarity consistent directions and those dogs respond with a really open, enthusiastic positivity to that clarity. So if you've ever seen a dog owner being dragged through the park by a big dog, hauling on the leash and shouting the dog's name every two minutes, you know who's in charge in that relationship and it's not the human. <laughs> <laughs> and that might be totally fine for that pair. But it's not how you want the relationship with your brain to be Agreed. when it comes to focus. You want to remember who's in charge here. And that doesn't mean being a bully. It doesn't mean self-criticism, it doesn't mean using shame, it means, in fact, the best relationship to have with your brain is one that's loving and patient as well as being really clear and firm with your directions. If you've ever watched Caesar Milan, the dog whisperer, you know what I'm talking about. It, he talks about this calm, clear energy and you can see in the way he works that it's underpinned with patience and persistence. He doesn't give up on a dog just because it turns around and snaps him a couple of times. Uh, and yes, he's got this 
tricky users and I totally love it because if my brain is kind of going off in all directions, I will sometimes use his, he does this thing with a dog who's, who's distracted or stressed or, or kind of acting up where he goes shh at them and they immediately turn their attention towards him. It's such a weird noise and so, so unusual and he does it with this very clear energy and he's very, he's very clear about who's in charge here. And the dog responds by, by turning towards turning his, its attention back towards him to go, what do you want? You can do that with your brain. If your brain's acting up and you really, really need to haul its attention back to where, where it belongs, you can use this trick um, in the middle of kind of... So, and I've used this in the middle of uh, you know, what felt like a crisis and things going pear-shaped. It's kind of going, shh, <laughs> get my attention back. Plus, it makes me laugh because I think it's a bit weird. And, you know, especially if I'm doing it in public. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm laughing at this example. This may not be a directly related one, but and no judging, but I was just watching Drunk History not too long ago, and <laughs> that's where they get, uh, I don't know, some a celebrity or someone really trashed, and they have them tell yeah. us some his, story from history, and then uh, other actors act it out. Okay, and there, so this one guy who's telling the story, he was so drunk that a couple times throughout his, while telling it, he would stop and go, one, two, three, four, and he would count off his fingers, one, two, three, four, and then he'd continue his wow. story. And the guy, the interviewer says, uh, what's the one, two, three, four thing? And it was basically a trick he used to help his brain focus when he was losing focus just because he was so drunk. I love that. <laughs> I love that. And it's, yeah, that's brilliant. And yeah, it, look, we each... We can each develop our own specific technique, and which is, you know, always going to be a. Uh, in fact, I'll come to that at the end about how individual this work is. But uh, yeah, it, it's exactly it's exactly the same thing, you know. It's uh, except obviously this can happen. We can lose focus even when we're not drunk. But I think having a having a technique for it before you get trashed that's really smart. <laughs> So similarly, having a technique to, to remind your brain of who's in charge, I think, is a really good trick. So whether it's using a Cesar Milan's trick or the one, two, three, four, or the snapping of a rubber band, that's the, mm. you know, that's a, a, a technique that you, that's used for um, people who are who need something to bring them back to the present moment, back to the here and now. Because effectively, that's what we're doing. We're bringing the attention of our brain back to the very the, the very instantaneous <clears throat> moment of of right here, right now. Because often when, our, when we lose focus, it's usually something like we start ruminating on the past and what went wrong or we start ruminating on the future and what might go wrong. Um, you know, there's that research that shows that if, you're, if your mind is wandering uh, and you're not really paying attention to where it's going, most of the time it'll end up going somewhere you don't really want it to go. Not all the time, but more of the time. And, the, and we don't want to do that. So bringing its attention back by having a technique is a really is a really good idea. So I like that one too. <laughs> That'll make me laugh when I think about it. Um, I, well, I much prefer Caesars to the, to just counting off, but um, do you have one you use, Janet? I'm curious. I do use Caesars one, and I also use, uh, I, I use, I use, I love that about me, which I learned from you. Mm. Uh, I have it, it sort of depends on where, where the distraction is coming from. Sometimes I'll say, <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on a recording, but sometimes I'll use an F-bomb, and it will be <clears throat> something like, oh, for goodness sake, Janet, it's a bit ruder. Um, uh, and I'll say it out loud, especially if I'm alone. Oh, actually, I do it with my husband around too. <laughs> 
He does it too, by the way. He's got his own trick that he uses. He just says, oh, you idiot. <laughs> he's a little more self-critical than mine, but it brings his attention back to here and now, and it works for him. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to interfere with what works for him. <clears throat> um, but yes, so so um, having that way of reminding your brain of who's in charge, you want to make sure that it's, you know, saying you're an idiot, Janet, it probably isn't the way to go. And I don't use that one. Um, my husband uses it against himself, but that's his thing. Um, it's not my preferred style because I think that actually, for, for those of us who are really aware of this kind of stuff, and he's not into law of attraction, for those of us who are aware of this, we know the power of words. So if we're using something that has words in it, we want to make sure that they're words that have a lightness to them, that either they make us laugh because it's they're kind of absurd, or they or, or can make it a sound or whatever you like. Um, okay, any questions on that one, or are we ready to move on? I'm good. Excellent. So the next thing to say is what what happens when focus gets lost because. From time to time, our brain loses its focus, even when it's really well trained. One of the dogs that was working on the movie, um, the, the male dogs, there were three male dogs. Uh, one of them uh, was a stunt dog who was, because Rex has some very athletic stuff that he does during the movie. He does a big chase, or sort of running to save the day uh, that involves some stunts. Uh, and then they had um, a sort of mid-shot Rex, and then they had the close-up Rex. One of the Rexes, uh, and they were called Ace, Ben, and I can't remember the third one's name, began with a C, just for ease of reference. Um, because these dogs, when they were initially brought to the set, when they, when they were initially bought by the production company, they were bought from, um, they were actually bought from a breeder, and they didn't have names. They were basically stuck in cages all day, and they, they hadn't been outside before. So this is one of those stories, they were rescued. Uh, and they were rescued because they were um, they they looked very similar to each other, so they could double up with a little bit of makeup. You know, you could you couldn't tell a difference. Uh, and they had the right look that because they wanted the border collies that looked sort of fl soft and fluffy, because that's you know like most movies, they have to look good for the camera. Um, and it wasn't until they began training that they discovered that one of them, in particular Ace, had clearly been somewhat traumatized by his experience. Um, now, with lots of training and lots of loving attention from his trainer, he recovered from that. But every so often, he was, he was called, he became known as Space Ace because he'd be in the middle of working and all of a sudden, it was as though he saw something out of the corner of his eye and it, it totally kind of, it, it took his attention and it freaked him out a bit. Uh, he would do this body language that looked like he was ducking and his eye line would be up in the air somewhere. So it's almost, the, the reason they called him Space Ace was it was as though he suddenly saw an alien spaceship that nobody else could see. Uh, and, uh, and it would happen from time to time. It would happen during filming. And it was really interesting to watch because Ace's trainer never got mad because that wouldn't have helped. She didn't buy into his story, so she didn't share his alarm. She didn't sort of make a big fuss about it and come over and do lots of comforting and, you know, there, 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 poor Ace, what's wrong? She, she stayed calm. She regained his attention. She demonstrated her own calm, and she behaved as though nothing terribly dramatic had happened. 
She gave him something simple to do from his training, something he was really familiar with from the very early days of training. So it might be coming to heel or it might be sitting or it might be lying down, whatever it was that would sort of bring his attention back to the here and now and give him that confidence to say, I do know what I'm doing. This is really familiar, comfortable territory. And it helped him regain his confidence and forget the scary thing that he'd seen that nobody else could see. And within minutes, he'd be back in the zone, back in the focus, doing his thing, doing whatever it was he needed to do for the scene. And it's the same with our brains. We're in charge. And in those moments when we lose focus, it pays to find a way to get our, our brains back on track by using patience, by not engaging drama, by finding something that our brains can engage with easily that's really familiar. For example, a simple mantra like, all is well which is why it's so important to have that familiarity, to have that training in place, to practice the focus on the easy stuff when things are, go are not going pear-shaped, when there are no aliens hovering just over their head, your head, kind of, you know, scaring you. Uh, having, the, having that simple, trustworthy, extremely familiar, comfortable, the focus zone that you can kind of lean into creates a, a, a like a it gives us traction to get ourselves back in on focus on what it is that we're trying to where we're trying to keep our focus. Does that make sense? Yeah, that that actually makes a lot of sense, Janet. And and it kind of reminds me how when I'm feeling overwhelmed or out of sorts or just really things not going well with something, like so I'll I'll naturally revert to like. I can answer emails or I could vacuum the floor. Yeah. Like doing something yeah. that is easy to win at kind of helps yeah. get me back on yeah. the rails. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, Ms. Um, Quilly and I had an experience the other day of totally screwing up where I was going to and getting there an hour early and then not getting it done. So then I had to go the next day and I'm thinking, oh, no, now it's not going to be open kind of thing. And then as I was driving there, I just had to say, Oh nonsense! You live in easy world. It's um, all yes. fine, which I learned from Jeanette. Yeah, <laughs> right on. It really works. Quilly, that's that such book. a good example because that's a brilliant example, Quilly. Thank you for that. And the reason it's such a good example is I know that you've been playing with easy world for a long time now, and it's familiar. It's comfortable. So you know, it's it's given you a kind of. It's like it's given you a, a, um, a benchmark, a, like a bedrock where you can, you can rely on it. You can sort of lean your weight onto it and, uh, and get yourself back into the zone again because, because you know you can rely on it, because it's familiar, because it's got that sense of, I know how this works. I know how to do this. Uh, this isn't hard. This is easy. Uh, it's the same for you, Jeanette, with finding activities. Uh, that's a really good way to do it. We can use the mantra like the easy world, I live in easy world. Or we can use the activities that, that make us feel, that give us that feeling of I'm in control here. This is easy. I've got this. You know, mm -hmm. I, I know how to do this. Um, it just gives us back that, that equilibrium. It gives us back our, our, our psychic and emotional equilibrium. And what it does for our brain is it helps to reset the neural pathways so that instead of being focused on the, oh my God, there are aliens just above my head, we're focused on that new thing, that other thing, the, the thing we know really well. And because these are familiar neural pathways, we're not trying to create new ones in the red hot moment. 
we're relying on old, familiar, mm-hmm. comfortable ones mm-hmm. that, that have that positive energy to them. <clears throat> and they, they have a, a past history of having worked. So you've yeah. stuff, oh, it, I know this works, so I'm not worried about yeah. it from now on. So it's, it's exactly positive history. Yeah. It's the brain's equivalent of putting on a comfortable old pair of slippers that you know are going to just make your feet feel really good. <laughs> so this brings me to the next, the next, you know, element that I want to look at, and this is the this is about the benefits of practice, and uh, this is the idea about you know doing what Quilly, what Quilly's done, where it's about practicing the focus around something long enough that it becomes so familiar that you can rely on it when things get a bit tough <clears throat> so if we want to because focus is a skill no doubt about that or rather deliberate focus is a skill we're focusing our brains focus on various things all the time uh, and and uh, you know we, I, I will talk in a moment about focus exhaustion but I want to talk first about the practice so our brains are focusing all the time what we really want to learn is the skill of deliberately focusing of putting our focus where we want it like fly with her toy ball um, we want to be able to train our brains to be able to focus on the things that we that we like like I live in easy world vacuuming the floor those kinds of things and we want that we want to get so good at it that that when we want to get good at it when we don't really need it so that when we do need it when the pressure's on or something is going pear-shaped or focus feels really hard we can lean into how powerfully we own that ability to focus and that's what Space Ace's trainer did she leaned into the part of his practice that he was super familiar with and we could also use practice to get us more resilient and prepared for times that might be more challenging so there's a scene in Babe where Rex, the male dog, is racing to save the day and there's one particular shot that required him to jump up onto the back of a moving truck to hitch a ride, a little, like a, uh, a little, a small, you know, um, open bed truck, uh, like a pickup, you think you call them mm-hmm. in the States. Um, and it was done by a stunt Rex. Um, and this is a dog whose name I can't remember. I don't know if it's Charlie. Anyway, whatever it was, this dog had a very huge bouncy personality and he thrived on doing all the running and jumping and the really athletic types of things. He just loved it. But I have to say, the trainers were nervous about this particular stunt because it was actually quite dangerous for the dog. The camera speed was cheated so that they could have the vehicle at a lower speed and then when the film's shown at proper speed, the truck looks like it's going a bit faster. But you can't cheat the camera too much or the dog looks like a Keystone cop. It, just looks like, you know, it kind of looks crazy. So they practiced for weeks. They began by teaching Stunt Rex to jump up on the stationary truck until he could do that exactly on command. Like he was very eager, so they had to train him to wait to get his timing right to do it on command, not earlier and not later. They, then they gradually taught him how to do it with the truck moving very slowly by making sure he jumped at the right time and then he got the hang of it. Then they could, then they could increase the speed of the truck bit by bit uh, and he, as he got used to the idea of running and running and running and jumping onto the moving truck. Then they took the whole rig out to a location and they slowed it right down again. They, they went back to doing it with a stationary truck then they started it moving and he learned how to do it uh, on a, in terrain that was very similar to where they would be shooting. So bit by bit by bit they built this up over and over again and he built, so he built up this focus uh, piece by piece, he prepared. It's the same with our brains. 
keeping our focus on our alignment is a skill that requires practice. So for example, if you're relatively new to Law of Attraction, I know nobody on the call qualifies as that, but for people listening to the recording, if you hear people talking about focusing on the positive for 68 seconds, that sounds pretty easy, but when you actually try and do it, if you've never tried it before, it's actually kind of impossible mm -hmm. to do. I, well, I have found it, you know, I've never, I, I could certainly couldn't have done it when I was completely new to the idea. You start with the 17 seconds. You want to start out with something that's that's more doable. You might start out with five seconds. I you was going to say, with, I, yeah, even getting to 17 was kind of a feat in the beginning yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah. And so you start with the stationary truck. And I, Jeanette, I know you, I was reading the other day on a for, one of the forums, uh, the idea of uh, having 100, was it 100 positive thoughts in a row or 100 appreciative yeah. thoughts? Yeah, 100 row? positive thoughts in a row, yeah. Yeah, now that's a big ask. You know, I think that for many of us, even those of us who've got lots of law of attraction experience under our belts, get it, trying to Making a judgment about our capacity to do this in the first, the first, on the first try is kind of nuts. That would be like expecting this dog to do this trick straight off the bat without having done any practice at all. Well, and you know what else it makes me think of, Janet? It would be like asking a person who is facing eviction from their home, you know, for lack of yeah. financial resources, to find a way to, to practice feeling abundant and at ease. It's like, wait. You know, there's yeah. something really important about practice this when you're not under pressure because these are hard skills yeah. to develop when when it feels like a big deal. So, you know, when we're stationary and when it's safe, yeah. when it's slower, we build up our these muscles to make it easier when it really matters. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, again, this is going to be something that's going to be individual for each of us, but I think there are some core ones that I uh, – that are really useful for us to to practice in the you know in the, the the weeks before training. I mean, we might never have to face the the crisis. We might never have to face the jumping onto the moving truck. Uh, but it's as well to, and I don't mean you know prepare for disaster. I'm not talking about it from that perspective at all. I'm saying that that everything we do to build up our skill at focusing is going to be useful. It's going to be something we can rely upon. Um, so that if there is a moving truck scenario, we can we can run along the road and jump up on that truck because when they filmed it, by the time they did this stunt, that dog was so ready for it. It took a couple of takes, <clears throat> and he did one each one exactly the same way. I wasn't on set, I wasn't there when they were filming it because we were filming on a different uh, in a different area. But we used to go and watch rushes every night. They would screen all the rushes from the day all the footage that had been filmed that day, they had a little screening room and it meant that, because at one stage they had four units filming at the same time. So you got to find out what was being filmed every day. There was no sound because that hadn't been edited in yet, but you could at least watch the vision. And we were watching this, we, everyone turned up to watch the rushes the night because everybody knew about this stunt and everybody knew how you know, nervous the trainers had been and about how much work they had gone into it. So we all showed up for screening. The room was packed. And every single take was identical. The only reason they did more than one take was because one of them had a camera problem, another one had a, a, a oh, continuity wow. issue where there was a, a plane going overhead or something. Every single one, as far as the dog was concerned, every take was the same. And you could tell because when you watch the rushes, they haven't been edited yet, so you get to see the bits 
in between uh, while the camera's still rolling. And you could tell he went back to the start point, ready to go before they, you know, before, <laughs> while they were still, like, he beat his trainer there. He was ready for another take. Can we do it again, please? He he didn't wow. he didn't he didn't fall he didn't get hurt he had a ball and you could tell in fact his trainer said afterwards she thought he was kind of disappointed that he didn't get to do it anymore that day <laughs> it, it feels in a lot of ways like thriving on the challenge you know yeah exactly really and, and not fearing it there was this sense that because this dog was really now this is obviously this is a human perspective on what the dog is experiencing this is not because dogs don't think about well, as far as we know, they don't think about this stuff the way we do, but we can look at that and use it that metaphor to understand how when you know you've got these skills, when you've built up these skills, there's no fear of the challenge. We're not doing it to prevent the challenge happening. We're doing it so that we're so well equipped that it doesn't matter whether there's a challenge or not. We don't need a challenge. And if one happens to show up, we know what to do. We've got those skills. And that's a much more aligned way to face the possibility of challenge than to kind of, you know, turn your head the other way and say, well, I'll worry about that. I'll, I'll try learning that focus when I get yeah. to it because <laughs> that's you, never going to be the, you know, useful thing. Janet, I just posted earlier today a story about how you, anyone who's been reading the forums knows recently I started the mantra, I am in such good hands, I am so well supported, which is a mm -hmm. nice change from my old story about how, uh, my 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 this vibration for me it used to it was in the toilet before so it might not sound like a big deal to some of you but it was a big change for me and I've been practicing it and practicing getting really good results from it and today I was on what turned out to be like a thousand dollar phone call when it appeared to be that this was not it wasn't there wasn't support happening here but because I'd been practicing that it was a lot easier to plug into it than if I had if I had not already gotten some traction with that mantra, with that vibration before, there's mm. no way I would have pulled it out on this phone call. No way. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I really love that. Thank you for sharing that story, Janet, because, Jeanette, because it's, um, you know, this is where, uh, it, you know, having having specific examples like this is so helpful. Well, um, it's, it's, it's one reason why we're practicing focusing skill, skills this month because, we don't want to have to get good at this when we need it. We want to already be good at it, whether it's yeah. practicing abundance or health or happy relationships. Before something is threatened, we want to really be good at knowing how to tune in to this frequency. Amen to that. One of my favorite I, ones is, one of my most reliable ones is, um, just I simply intend a perfect outcome and then I take my hands off the how and I have a little gesture that I do if I'm not actually driving. Sometimes I'm driving on the way to an appointment <laughs> when, I don't, when I don't do this. But my gesture is, uh, imagine I have my hands in front of me as if I've got my hands on the handlebars and I just take them off the handlebars and put them right up so my hands are beside my shoulders and my palms facing forward like, nope, my hands off, literally hands off. Um, right and on. that's one, that one has been so powerful for me, so powerful. I interrupted someone. Was that Quilly? Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, when you were talking about the dog's focus, and, and I, I felt like the dog. <laughs> I really wanted to be the dog, focusing that tightly on something, and because I rem it reminded me, I worked in publishing for years, and, and a daily newspaper having a deadline, and you, there, oh. you had to go in 
at 6.15 in the morning be completely focused on what you had to do because it ought to be yeah. done by 11, right? And yep. there is such a, an adrenaline rush and a thrill from that and a sense of accomplishment afterwards. Yeah. I keep, think that it's fun. And I think the dog felt the sense of accomplishment and he just wanted to keep doing it. I, I understand that. Totally, uh, yeah. It, so wow. I, part of it is not even preparing for some uh, challenge in the future, but I think it might be, uh, you know, the finding the of fun it. of it. Yeah, well, yeah, I like that, Quilly. Absolutely. And in fact, Quilly, you're so smart because you've just, you've just kind of skipped ahead to almost the last point in the in in today's call. <laughs> Sorry. So hold, that, hold that thought. We will come around to that one because I think that's a really, really important one, but it's the one I want to wrap up with. So, um, But, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, but I'm going to move on to the next point now, which is about variety. Um, one thing we know about both brains and border collies, they get bored. Uh, the filming schedule for Babe had to be really carefully planned around the animal's tolerance for working. We're talking chickens and sheep and horses and cows and ducks uh, and a uh, cat. There was a <clears throat> there's a, a cat who kind of plays a villainous role. Um, the uh, and while the dogs certainly had more tolerance for boredom than the other species. Uh, but we always had at least one of the other dogs on standby. So with, if you know, if we were doing a close-up with Fly, the the other Fly dogs would be on standby in case the hero dog decided that enough was enough before the required shot was in the can. So all of the dogs he trained for all of the tricks, <coughs> except for the stunt stuff, um, and it meant that we had a backup in just just in case shooting went longer than the dog was interested in. These trainers knew their dogs incredibly well. There was one trainer for each dog. In fact, no, I think there were, I think there were, maybe there were a couple of dogs who were handled by one trainer. But um, most of the most of the time, this was a one-to-one -one relationship. So they knew their dogs really well, but they couldn't predict on any given day how long each dog would keep doing the same thing. There was a limit to their tolerance that changed on, from day to day depending on all kinds of variables like how much sleep they'd had, the mood they were in, the weather, how much work they'd already done that day or that week, whether they had a sore, you know, slightly sore foot or a grumbly tummy or all kinds of different variables that, that, were, that made this a little unpredictable. Our brains have a similar finite capacity to focus on one thing. We can do it for a while, but at some point there's a kind of exhaustion that sets in where the same neural pathways have been firing over and over and over again. It's a little bit like when you use a muscle over and over and over again. Eventually, it just kind of freezes up and it won't work anymore. It just needs to rest and reset. <clears throat> so, for example, imagine you're driving along the highway and you're looking for an exit. You know that it's about 10 miles out of town, but you haven't been given any landmarks. And there are a lot of exits on this stretch of highway. So you're driving along, you're keeping your attention on the driving and the traffic, but you're also looking for this exit. Every exit you pass, you have to play, pay close attention to see if it's your exit or not. By the time you find it successfully, you can feel this massive sense of relief mm -hmm. as your brain can finally let go of that thing that it's been focusing on for the last you know, few minutes or however long it's been. It's a subtle thing, but I think we've all experienced it, that moment where we can sort of relax and let that focus go. Uh, and that's, that's what that, there's, so there's a feeling to it of <clears throat> uh, 
I've been doing this long enough now. I need to I need to let that go. There's a kind of sigh of relief. And the solution for this, so we don't want to be working the focus too hard for too long. The solution for both border collies and brains is variety. Uh, give your brain something else to play with and it will recover its ability to focus pretty fast. So this is especially useful if you've got something dramatic happening and the focusing where you want is a stretch. You can do it for a while and then you might want to take your focus elsewhere entirely. You might want to go and vacuum the floor. You might want to go and uh, look at something else that's working really well. Your brain will recover and you can come back to the focus that is a little more difficult, where there's a little more effort involved. Um, so understanding this need for variety is really helpful because the one thing we don't want to do when we're deliberate, you know, when we're doing our deliberate creation practice, we don't want to make it hard work. So the practice is important, but we don't want to overdo it so that our brain gets exhausted and then we kind of fall in a heat going, I can't do it anymore. We don't want to be doing that. <laughs> um, does that make sense? Yeah, so, so we yeah. use variety as an antidote to um, focus exhaustion. Yeah, yeah. And that's going to be different for each of us and it's going to be different day to day. So if there's a day where for whatever reason focusing seems really hard, um, it's a bit like, you know when you've, got a, you've, you've overdone something physically and you've got a sore muscle, you don't want to do the same thing that made the muscle sore in the first mm -hmm. place, but you might want to take a gentle walk or you might want to do some gentle stretching. So you might want to do some gentle focusing on something that's easier, that's more familiar, that's in that familiar territory. Um, or you might, you might be just really, really bored with that focus you've been doing. It's, so that thing that you, that focus you've got that's really familiar, there might come a day where you say it, and it or you do that thing and you just go, it's like you want to roll your eyes and go, oh, no, I'm over that. <laughs> you want to mix it up. Jeanette, I know that you've talked about the fact that you don't, t you tend not to do a practice for more than, what is it, two to three weeks? Yeah, if that, I, I have yeah. a low tolerance for the repetition of one thing, variety does help me stay at my best. I, what, I, I, I'm just really loving the term that I didn't, I didn't know this is what was happening, but I've seen a lot of conscious creators experience focus exhaustion and not recognizing that that's what it was and thinking they should be able to keep doing it. Um, yeah. So this is really helpful. And it's, like I say, it's different for each of us. <clears throat> you know, we each of us have our own personal Thresh <clears throat> boredom threshold. I've got a low boredom threshold as well. And there was a time where I thought if I couldn't do a 30-day practice that there was something wrong with me. Now I recognize that I'm just not cut out for most of the time. I'm not cut out for a 30-day practice. Some things I love to do and they have never stopped being things I love to do. And, that, and so while ever I'm loving them, then I'm going to keep doing them because that feels good. But the moment something feels like it's boring, wow, that's the moment to get some variety. Because that's your that's your tolerance level for today's shooting. You want to go and do something else. <laughs> okay, the next thing Wait, I want to I talk think, about is... Wait, chiming in with something? Oh, sorry, I can't talk I, over I, the top I, of you. Go ahead. Dion? Sorry, hello? Hello, hello. Sorry, were you, you were saying something and we, uh, and we talked over the top of you. I'm sorry about that. No, no, no I didn't say anything, no, sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> cool. Um, so the next thing I want to talk about is nurturing. Now, it won't be a surprise to learn that just like a working animal, your brain is far more compliant and functions much better when it's properly nourished. 
Obviously, that means adequate rest, nutrition, hydration. Uh, one of the tricky thing, one of the tricky bits of, log of logistics for Babe was, especially during filming, where they had to get a certain number of shots in the can every day in order to stay on schedule. Part of that was managing the animals, the animals' nutrition. Uh, because most of the animals, not so much the dogs, but most of the animals were being given food treats as part of their working day. Because uh, I'm here to tell you that the um, the piglets do not work for anything other than food. They're not silly. <laughs> I've once criticised, I've once made a, a passing comment about sheep being stupid and one of the sheep handlers pointed out to me that the dogs will work just for the promise of a ball uh, the sheep demand food. Which animals the cleverer? <laughs> That's funny. Um, but if you're familiar with the movie Babe, one of the favourite scenes that gets you know that was used in the sh in the previews and um, uh, everyone's favourite moment in the movie is when Babe starts singing Jingle Bells, and you've got this shot of a piglet going la 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 la. What's actually happening there? That was an outtake uh, originally. Um, because when the piglets, the piglets would walk up to their mark, which is a little tiny bit of wood in the in the that you couldn't see just under the dirt, uh, they would get rewarded as soon as they had both front feet on that little block of wood, and they knew that food was coming as soon as their trainer could get it to them. And in the time between getting their feet on the block of wood and the food coming, they would just do the baby bird thing of opening and closing their mouths. Oh my gosh. And they had this outtake where the rhythm of it happened to be, happened to fit the opening line of Jingle Bells. Uh, so they got the voice, the voice artist who originally recorded the dialogue for the for the piglet, they got her back in the studio to do a few pickups and that was one of the ones she did. They got her to do Jingle Bells How and it fun. became everyone's favourite scene. <laughs> this has nothing to do with brain science, by the way. It's just a really good story. <laughs> that is a good story. It is a good story. But of course, when you're using um, piglets and you're filming and they're getting fed every time they do the right thing and you've got several takes, there's a, there comes a point. The treats have got to be carefully measured to ensure that nobody gets too much food in a day and their whole dietary intake has to be managed to give them the energy they need and keep them in top condition without getting them you know, overweight. So that's why they had, on any given day, there would be six piglets on set all made up with the same little tuft of um, hair that Babe has on the forehead, so they all looked so they all looked identical. They were usually a, 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 a litter together, so they'd been raised um, together and trained from very early early on. Um, but uh, so with the with the dogs, the kind of nurturing that was required was a little more. The piglets didn't respond especially to um, affection. They, that wasn't enough of a reward for them. They just wanted to. They just wanted food. But the border collies wanted more. They wanted the. They wanted that connection. There's a very different because pigs don't work as pack animals in the same way that dogs do. But the relationship with the dog and the trainer had to include all those elements of nurturing, and it also had to include the ephemeral kinds of nurturing, like love, respect, um, clarity, uh, those kinds of things. And our brains are the same. They definitely need all that physical nurturing, but they respond really well to the ephemeral kinds of nurturing, especially when we're seeking to change something about them. This is where self-love comes in, particularly self-compassion. So you want to turn that kindness inwards. You want to, if, if you come across a stubborn focus change that isn't working out the way you want, you want to be. You want to bring persistence. You know, you you like those trainers. You don't want to get mad with your brain because it's telling some crazy, scary story. 
We know from the research that self-criticism and shame both shut down brain systems, just as they shut down a working dog's enthusiasm and ability. If you've ever watched a working dog, the one thing you will never see a trainer do is um, you might see them raise their voice to get the dog's attention in that moment. If the, dog's, if the dog does get distracted, the trainer will raise its voice or will use a, you know, like a Cesar Milan's sound. They'll use that to get the dog's attention back in the here and now. But they don't use anger. They don't use criticism. They don't bang on about what an idiot the dog is because the dog's struggling with something, um, with some aspect of focus. So we want the same thing with that relationship with our brain. We want patience, kindness, and an unswerving decision to keep working with it until it gets back on track, until it understands and learns this new focus that we're creating. Um, so that sense of nurturing, it's got to be a holistic thing. It's like... So definitely want you want to include rest because a brain and a border collie that's exhausted cannot function well. They just don't. <laughs> they just want to go and sleep. Uh, and they'll play up. You know, if our focus is, if, our, if we're struggling with our focus, it's worth asking the question, does my brain need a rest? Does my brain need some hydration? Does my brain need some, some nutrition right now? Uh, what else does it need? Does it need some kindly words? Does it need some firm energy, some clarity? What does it need? And those things are really helpful. And because we are the users of our brain, we're not our brains, we are the users of them, just like we're, you know, the trainer is not the dog. The trainer is the trainer of the dog, the handler. Um, and it's, the, it's we in that role, in that relationship with our brain, we're the ones who are responsible for making those choices that nurture our brains in really positive ways. Does that make sense? Makes really good sense. Cool. Any questions? We're about to go into the last bit here, the really fun bit. <laughs> this is Brenda. I, as you were going through all the uh, the points about the brain, it struck me that um, uh, things like the course, a course in miracles, and uh, for me, more recently, uh, the way of mastery. Um, each of those. Uh, those texts, they have a series of lessons and they're to be done daily and sometimes quite often during the day, maybe every hour. And mm-hmm. um, and each, but they, they, they never do require you or ask you to stay on them for very long. Like you might choose yeah. to have one for a a day or two or maybe even a week, but then you move on and move to the next thing that uh, is different, although water's the first, as they say, water's the first idea or axiom that they're, um, that they want you to um, incorporate into your, your consciousness. And uh, it, it, uh, I think that even they knew that we get bored with, Mm. Sticking with the same truth, even the ascended masters know this. So, <laughs> yes, taking us a, a a while to catch on. But thanks to you, I love how. Yeah, thank you for that, Brenda. I love how often these really kind of uh, I'm using air quotes non-science, you know, kinds of texts. How often they line up with the with the way we now start. We're now starting to think about the science, you know, the biological aspect of ourselves in terms of the brain science because the, these things all fit together. It's like a perfect puzzle where the, the pieces fit together beautifully. There's no sense of, it's not a, 
and I think I, I know from my own reading in the past that there have been times where we have thought it's you know spirit versus science or that these things were not aligned and that's that's because there have been times where we didn't understand the science properly. We didn't know. We thought that the brain was fixed. We thought that it couldn't change. Or we thought that you know things worked a certain way. And we're now, you know, the, the science is catching up, there's no doubt. So it's really lovely when somebody talks about something that's that seems completely unrelated, but in fact is, is saying exactly the same thing. It's just coming at it from a different angle. Uh, and it's just, it's just beautiful, you know? They also say that um, the, the way of mastery is very clear. That's why I, I'm gravitating toward that over A Course of Miracles. But right now, um, oh gosh, now I just had a brain fart. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, move on. I'll, let's just move on. Oh, <laughs> it might come to me later. <laughs> What it, if you if you remember what it is, okay. put it in the chat. Or uh, I will. I'll type it in the chat. And, uh, <laughs> or we'll, or we'll talk about it in a minute. Um, okay. All right. Let let me move on to the next bit. This is the bit that this is for Quilly. <laughs> this is the bit I this is the bit I think is really juicy. It's about fun and inspiration. And I want to ask, why do those working dogs do what they do? Is it because they want to manifest a bigger house, a fancier car, a dream vacation, or a perfect lover? No. It's because they're having fun. You only have to watch footage of dogs doing their thing. Jeanette knows this from going to these sheepdog trials uh, or whether it's obedience dogs doing a performance with their trainer. Uh, if you haven't seen it already, you want to Google. There's a, a, a version of uh, You're the One That I Want from Greece, um, which is done by a trainer with her dog as a performance. You can see how much fun they're having. If they weren't having a good time, they wouldn't be doing it. Um, even though the trainer is in charge, the dogs would not do that work as well or even at all if it wasn't fun for them. So what does that mean for our brains? Is there something here that we can learn for ourselves? Absolutely. It's exactly the same thing. We have to find something that engages our brain, something that makes it prick up its metaphorical ears and wag its tail. When we're retraining our brain to new habits of focus, we need to figure out what, we'll, what we will be engaging. So, sorry, we need to figure out what will be engaging for our brain. Um, so, for example, there are some recent studies that were done on um, teaching people happiness-raising strategies. This is coming from the happiness research, the positive psychology area. Uh, so, when, we're, when, when you know anything that any formal strategies that are designed to raise happiness, that effectively what they're doing is changing focus. Um, and they came up with some really interesting data. One strategy was the performing of five acts of kindness. Researchers found that on average, so they, they got people to do five acts of kindness, but they got them to do it in different ways. And they found that on average, people who performed all five acts of kindness on a Monday ended up happier than people who spread the five acts of kindness throughout the week. Another strategy was a gratitude practice where people counted their blessings. And this time they found that people who counted their blessing once a week on a Sunday night reported a greater increase in happiness than people who counted their blessing three nights a week. But I have to say, these are statistics. These are average findings. They mean nothing for you and me as individuals. The fact that there are statistics that say this is the average, this is what the average outcome was, it means nothing. If I get a better outcome from doing the gratitude practice every night, then that's where I want to go. And what that means is, so on the first call on this topic, Jeanette, you mentioned the three steps of, of, of focus are decision, awareness, and the practice. 
this is really what I've been talking about today is the practice. This third step, this is where you get to pick how you do it best, what's the most fun for you or what feels best to you. Changing your focus, especially your default focus, means changing your brain. And we know two things that are required in order for brains to change. This is really well established. One of those things is repetition, which means doing the practice over and over. And that means doing it in a way that doesn't make you bored. Um, so we want to make sure that there's repetition built in. We can't change focus by just doing it once, any more than you can build a bicep by picking up one weight once and calling it done. The other factor, the really important factor, is engagement. It's that sense of juiciness, and that can come from sensory or emotional activation. Because without, that, without, without, without either that sensory or emotional activation, the brain doesn't actually retain the practice nearly as well. We need those things in order to build the new neural pathways that are emerging as a result of our changing focus. So it has to have something inspiring or fun around it, something that makes us feel good. So you might like a focus-enhancing mantra that makes you laugh, or you might like one that fills you with awe. Uh, you might like a focus which gives you a sense of contentment. You might like to engage your imagination in order to connect what that focus looks like or smells like or sounds like. In my work in identity shifting, I actually use physical anchors, the things that, you know, we, the, 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 the pieces that we might call living as if or acting as if. So uh, anchors can be behaviors or they can be items that we imbue with magical, uh, with magical powers. Um, so we might have a, a, I wear a necklace that has the word joy um, and two little wavy lines. And for me, that represents resonant joy, which is something that I am putting my focus towards more and more and more. Um, so finding the, way, the right way for your brain to learn to focus is about trying things out and paying careful attention to how they feel. Does it give you that sense of fun and inspiration? Jeanette and I have already revealed that we have both have a low boredom threshold. <laughs> um, but for me, that's only about some things. This necklace that I'm wearing that I've put on this morning and I wear on a regular basis, I don't get bored with it. The more I imbue it with magical power, the magical power of resonant joy, the more it lights me up. It's a very individual thing. That might not be the case for everyone. And there might be a day where I put on this necklace and it just fills me with meh. Couldn't, I, you know, it doesn't light me up at all. And that's the day for me to find a new one, a, a find a different anchor. So just like those, just like those dogs, your brain is unique. And only you can work out what's effective for you. There were some things that those border collies, you could tell that there were some things they didn't love doing. So they wouldn't, they wouldn't be chosen to do that particular stunt trick or stunt or whatever it was, that particular bit of training. They wouldn't be the ones that would be filmed doing that because they weren't loving it. Um, each dog is individual. Each brain is individual. Only you as your brain's handler can tell what's going to light it up and what's going to really engage it in the process of practicing focus and, and changing when you want to change your focus. Um, and obviously that's one of the beauties of, of Good Vibe University is that you can find so many different ways to support that focus, whatever it is you're trying to create. You're not kind of limited. I don't think you'd ever find the GVU being the place where you get somebody, you know, like Jeanette's, I've never ever heard Jeanette say, this is the only way to do this. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard you say that, Jeanette. I hope I never have. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So does that last piece make sense? And clearly, does that kind of go to the what you were talking about before about the whole fun inspiration thing? Uh, well, yeah, because when 
well, when I'm having fun or when I'm meeting a challenge or doing something that it feels juicy, you wow. get that feeling. It's like your eyes, you can feel your eyes dilating to let more of what you're looking at in. Yes. And that's, yeah. and it's, it's a, it's all, it's a feeling that could be on the verge of crying because you're kind of so happy about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited about this thing. But there have been a couple of of uh, mantras that aren't so uh, positive as uh, I live in easy world. One of my favorites is uh, come the blank on Bridget from Bridget Jones' diary. Because <laughs> I'm swearing. Uh, yeah. And I say that to myself all the time because it's, you know, oh, come on, we can do this kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Moving. And then there's this other one I thought of while you were talking, and that's a scene from, yeah, I have, all my references are from movies. Pardon me. <laughs> um, from the the original Twilight movie where um, one of the vampires, James, does this, he just jumps in this stance, and the stance is so kinetic and so filled with energy that I want to do that, and I wanted so much in that moment to be the bad vampire and jump in this position. I felt like I love it. So filled I with love it. So there's that, and that's empowering to me, even though yeah. it ends up badly. But um, anyway, but and I also want to tell you how much I love the movie Babe. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> On behalf of the whole production company, thank you. <laughs> And I had no idea that those were not just completely real animals talking like that. Yeah, I know. They did such a good job. And I have to say that a lot of the credit has to go to the editor and the director. Um, the director, Chris Noonan, is a lovely, lovely man, absolutely beautiful um, guy and beautiful energy. Uh, and the editor, Marcus, 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 I've forgotten his last name, but um, his work was extraordinary. Um, he, 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 he did such a good job. So that you forgot that you, you know you because if you held too long on a shot of a, an animatronic animal, it started to show, um, and he just edited it beautifully. Um, I do want to pick up well, on something you talked about there, Quilly, for a second. The the idea of the body stance. Um, again, if people are um, not familiar with it, there's a TED talk by Amy Cuddy where she talks about how we can use body language to bring our focus, basically it's not, it's not the language she uses, but we can use body language to restore our focus to what we want. So uh, she experimented getting people to take up particular power poses and then report whether they felt any different. Um, and one of, the, one of the poses is the Wonder Woman pose where, you know, feet apart, hands on hips, kind of chest back, uh, shoulders back, chest forward. Um, it's almost impossible. If you stand in that stance for for a minute, it's almost impossible not to feel a change in your focus. Um, or at least that was the one that did it for me. There are other ones mm -hmm. that you can use as well. But if you have a look uh, on on the TED, um, if you Google Amy Cuddy, C U D D Y, um, if you Google her TED talk, it's absolutely fascinating. And again, it's another method that we can use. It's another way to train our brains that works really well. Um, so. This brings us to, we're just after the top of the hour, so I'm going to wrap up, but um, I'll, if anybody wants to stay on the line and ask questions, you're more than welcome to. But I want to say that for my money, 
thinking about my brain as an eager border collie puppy is actually a really powerful way, way to remind myself that I'm in charge, that I'm the user of my brain, that I can retrain it to focus where I want it and that when it loses concentration, I have, I have and I am building the skills to get it back on track without fuss or drama. Um, I get to choose where my focus lies, including on a toy ball if I want to, and and that the practice it's, the practice has its own reward. The practice of focusing has its own rewards because it feels good, and that good nurturing, rest, hydration, food, and love all create a better and more sweetly aligned kind of focus. Those things really make me feel good, and reminding myself of those through this metaphor of you know thinking about my brain as a border collie pup. Um, that feels very empowering to me, um, and it and it makes me smile. I mean, who's not going to smile when you're thinking about water collies, right? <laughs> right, Janet. So much of what you have shared here today resonates for me in a lot of LOA ways. This was an absolutely brilliant call, and I'm also really enjoying the thought of. Um, being a good handler <laughs> to my border collie brain. I often use the metaphor of a puppy, you know, that's being potty yeah. trained, but I love it so much more. The thought of my brain as someone with the skills that border collies have. So um, thank you for that. I think I'll get a lot of juice from it. And when you were talking about the director and editor's exceptional work on the movie, I wanted to say exceptional work we are experiencing right here with you. This has been another fabulous call. Thank you for bringing it to us. But before you end the recording, will you let people who might not be familiar with your work know where they can hook up with you for your identity shifting magic? I will. Uh, thank you so much for that. I um, Absolutely. Uh, people can find me online at identityshift.ninja. Uh, and from my website, there's an area called Start Here, brackets, freebies. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> My favorite menu item. Um, uh, and once you have a look there, you'll find out all kinds of ways to play with me. Um, but you can find me on Facebook and you can find me in the GBU, in the Good Vibe University forums as well um, from time to time. I'm a bit erratic with my presence there. <laughs> um, but well, yeah, we're lucky I, to I, have you, Janet. You bring such wonderful stuff to our plate. Oh, I, well, it's a delight to be part of the community there. I, I just love it. And I love what you're doing, Jeanette. I, I always have. You know, I've been a, I was a founding member of GVU, and it's one of my, that goes alongside working on BABE as one of my, you know, claims to fame. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Right on. Um, did anybody have any questions that they wanted to ask? Brenda, did you, did you remember what it was you were going you yeah, to I say? Yeah, I typed it, half of it in the comments, but the other half didn't seem to want to follow it. Anyway, it, uh, it's oh. just that the, the, the way of mastery also teaches us to look uh, at our creations, things that we may have uh, previously judged as negative, um, uh -huh. such as um, feelings or thoughts, uh, or even anything physical or circumstance, circumstances that, we, that we're in. It teaches us to look upon all those things as uh, like with with wonder and appreciation and awe that we created this thing, yeah. even, even if it is negative or what we I may have that. judged to that way. Yeah. I love that. I think that's so important. And thank you for saying that. Thank you for making sure it got on the recording because that's absolutely right. And in the same way, you know, bringing it back to that border collie metaphor, uh, the trainers don't judge their dogs. You know, if the dog... if, if that one of the, the 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 head trainer was actually a guy called Carl Carl Anderson. Oh my gosh, I'm bad with names today. Um, and he had worked on movies like Cujo, and uh, like this guy has been doing Hollywood blockbuster animal-based movies for a really long time. 
and he's very clear about um, like he doesn't he prefers not to work with wild animals because he says you know it's not a judgment about them but they're wild animals I'm not going to I'm not going to try and train them it's not my thing there's never so even though he's clear about what he prefers there's never a sense of judging it there's never a sense of saying oh I'm not going to work with a bear because bears are unreliable <laughs> or bears are bad it's not that at all it's more to say I, I choose not to work with bears because it's not my thing there's never a judgment and similarly when we're working when the trainers are working with the border collies there was never a judgment about you know if they did have a moment of of losing the plot space ace he never got judged for the fact that he would have these little weird moments of of kind of going off into the ethers um it's just his thing there was compassion and and i think that you know uh the idea that we act, we can actually take credit for everything that we create and not see it as you know the moment we let go of the judgment and we realize that we can take credit for everything we've created, the quote-unquote good and the bad, that's a really empowering moment. That takes us out of judgment and blame or self-blame and right into power, and that's a huge, huge shift. So, yeah, thank you for... A great for, place to create from. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Well, thank you guys so much um, for being on the call today. It's been really fun. Um, I love I love being able to kind of bring a bit more, a bit of lightness to this because I think sometimes I talk a lot about the technical stuff, <laughs> and talking border collies is so much fun. <laughs> it it was fun, but it was still very enlightening. So even though we had a good time with this subject, I still learned a lot. So thanks, Janet. Well, thank you for saying that. That's my sweet spot: having fun and learning a lot. Couldn't be better. <laughs> All right, thank you so much. I'm going to end the recording now. Uh, thank you guys for coming, and uh, I will see you around the forum. Thank you, Janet. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.